Okay, hello, and welcome to the latest episode of Innovations in Education, eSchool News' podcast on the latest and greatest happenings in EdTech this month. I'm Kevin Hogan, and I'm glad you found us. In the spirit of our podcast title, we've decided to innovate a bit with a format. We're looking to go a little bit deeper into the topics that are important to you by discussing them with some of EdTech's most insightful experts. Tell us what you think. In this podcast episode, robotics expert Jason Innes discusses the growing role of robotics in education and explains how these technologies can help students develop important skills such as problem solving, critical thinking, and creativity, an essential element for success in the 21st century workforce. Jason is the manager of curriculum development and training for Kinderlab Robotics, where he develops STEAM curriculum and leads professional development workshops. He loves helping teachers integrate Kibo Robotics and playful STEAM activities into classes. He has presented on robotics, early coding, and Kibo integration at numerous conferences and workshops. He has a BA in Media Studies from Harvard University and a graduate certificate in Early Childhood Technology from Tufts. In this episode, Jason touches upon some of the latest developments in robotics technology, from artificial intelligence to the emergence of collaborative robots and other technologies that can work alongside humans in a variety of settings. He also explores some of the many exciting applications of robotics in education, from robotics competitions and challenges to robotics-based STEM curriculum and and makerspaces. Some especially interesting stuff when it comes to the use of robotics and coding in primary grades. I think that's something that is not necessarily thought about a lot. Usually you're thinking about that high school robotics competition and kids getting ready for a career. At the same time, you can see a lot of this stuff happening very early on in kids' education path. So whether you're a seasoned robotics expert or just getting started, This episode is sure to offer a wealth of insights and inspiration for anyone interested in the exciting world of robotics and education. Have a listen. Okay, Jason, thanks so much for joining me today. I really appreciate your time and and your insights. Thanks so much for inviting me onto the podcast, Kevin. I'm psyched to be here. One of my favorite topics when it comes to to ed tech, robotics in the classroom, something that's been, uh, you know, having covered the ed tech space for almost 20 years, something that was always talked about but maybe Mm. not something that was necessarily implemented, except in maybe kind of novel ways every once in a while. I also can remember stories about, you know, remote learning and bringing in students, and this was before the pandemic, as a tool where you'd have robots around. But maybe we start off, talk a little bit about your experience in the robotics space in education and where you kind of see the state of play of this particular technology right now. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks. Um, So you're right. Robotics is something that's entered into education in a lot of different ways over the years. Um, You know, when we think of robotics, we may think first of like high school students learning kind of mechanical engineering and design principles and building robots in a kind of competition um, style with that kind of focus on like career and technical education, which is, you know, a great and important way to use robotics in education. But at KinderLab, I'm the director of curriculum and training at KinderLab, um, and we make the Kibo robot, which is a robot designed to introduce coding and computational thinking and engineering in early childhood. So 
our focus is really on um, how can robotics be used to allow teachers to access those developmentally appropriate teaching styles that we know work best in early childhood, like working with physical manipulatives, seeing like a physical robot move around the classroom, which really makes coding into something concrete rather than abstract. So Kibo is really the result of saying, if we want to teach computational thinking, if we want to teach coding as young as pre-K and K, what's the best way to do it? And it turns out the answer is robotics. So in that sense, robotics for early childhood kind of emerges from these questions of what are really the best practices for teaching these concepts mm -hmm. rather than kind of what are the career outcomes we're aiming for, which is important too, but it's only a part of the puzzle. That's interesting because it is kind of, it, when you talk about the topic, it can become confusing because on the one end, you might have a product or service where you're, as you said, like with, with the competitions and building robotics, I think about Lego, you know, as an obvious right. look at that sort of thing. But then on the other hand, there's there's this dual purpose, right? Of, in terms of when you say the coding and computational thinking and, and working it into a curriculum. Um, I guess what further complicates it too is you talk about the different age levels so you're you're focused at that, that early primary which is particularly interesting what makes that space distinct than say when you see when you talk about robotics and, and like the robotics club or you know the, the uh you know thunderbird competitions and things like that mm -hmm. sure sure well at the k to two level um we're and i should say also from a framing point of view one exciting thing that's happened in the last few years since you raised kind of the what's the arc of this been, um, is that over the last like five years or so, the number of states that have adopted full K to 12 computer science standards has really grown. I think we're, um, code.org, I think has measured, we're up to like 40, 41 states now that have K to 12 computer science standards, including a handful that are now kind of mandatory and assessed. Okay. So as that progresses, you know, districts are saying, um, if we're going to meet these standards, if we're going to turn out middle schoolers and high schoolers that are able to engage with like complex kind of computer science standards and take these fundamentals classes and really come out with computer science skills under their belts, we need to start early preparing children for those basic concepts, you know? So again, with early childhood, we're not going to be expecting children to like design a circuit board and build a robot from scratch. Instead, we want them to absorb like really fundamental concepts. Like we can create a sequence of instructions that flows from beginning to end, kind of like a story in our ELA class. But this story is going to be acted out by our robot. Or simple concepts like robots have parts, just like people and animals have parts that let them do different things with their yeah. senses and with moving around. Robots have parts too. We can learn those functions. Maybe if we want our robot to move around, we need to attach wheels and motors. So those basic concepts need to be introduced in K-2, but you need to do it with tools that are developmentally appropriate for that age. Right. So, so. So, the, so the end game here that we're talking about is maybe not necessarily kind of straight assessment in terms of computational theory, but it's more about learning critical thinking, learning about problem solving and, and creativity. So it, it, at that early primary level, it's almost kind of a uh, an esoteric thing. Would that be fair? 
Yes, um, in that it's it is challenging to come up with sort of data driven assessments for the skills that children are learning at this age. And in fact, it's something that, you know, when you talk to in fact, I was just um, working with elementary teachers in a PD yesterday and they referred to the D word which is data, you know, Ah, (laughs) they're sick of hearing that, which I can relate (laughs) to because in early childhood, um, you know, uh, sort of formative assessments, portfolios, observation, dialogue with students, these are much more natural ways to assess learning in early childhood. That's not to say that we can't come up with more sort of rigorous or standardized ways of assessing. And as K to 12 computer science standards, for example, become more and more adopted, you know, states will develop assessments around those. At KinderLab, we do have a um, project evaluation rubric that we provide to teachers to help them with these assessments. We have an assessment workbook that accompanies our curriculum. But when you get right down to it, it is through those sort of observations, those watching how students relate to the materials, how they interact with each other, sort of highlighting those moments when one child is acting as a peer expert and leading, you know, his or her peers uh, in some discovery that they've just made. That sort of open-ended learning is something that early childhood educators really cherish. And it's something that we can build into kind of work with robotics at this age group, because it is about discovery and sharing and collaboration. Right. What about the state of play right now when you when you talk about robotics and maybe even kind of like gauge how faculty uh, are look at this being part of their curriculum? You know, for so many years, and it's it's still there. Um, the idea of STEM, you know, like this is a STEM subject, and then maybe it's just in purely math. Maybe you know, it's in purely uh, engineering. A bunch of engineering, I guess you have in primary. Is it something that you see that's going to become more involved in all forms of curriculum? Talk a little bit about how you can work, you know, how a school, how an educator can be working robotics into the day-to-day of their job. That's so important. Um, And it's a challenge for administrations as well, because you have um, teachers which who already have a pretty full day, you know, with all the sort of basically math and English that they have to um, hit. Uh, these measurements for. But you raise a a really good point. And this is actually something that uh, organizations like the Computer Science Teachers Association, ISTE, NACI, groups that have been looking at how early childhood education can support sort of STEM learning. And one universal among those experts is that for young children's topics like coding and STEM should be taught in combination with the other work that they're doing in the classroom. So it's much more effective when we can frame coding as a literacy, a skill that children can use to express and explore other subjects that they're working on. Mm -hmm. So an example, um, the one drawn from our curriculum, for example, um, if there's a book that the children are working on in the classroom, like The Hungry Caterpillar. We can read the book, we can do reader's theater activities where children read and act out the movements uh, of the caterpillar, but we can then also take our robot, decorate it with arts and crafts materials to look like a caterpillar, and then create a program to represent the sort of journey of the different foods the caterpillar encounters and then turning into a butterfly at the end, we can swap out the decoration. So through all of that, we're engaging in an ELA activity Mm-hmm. We're drawing on a story that's meaningful to the children that we've been exploring 
in other contexts. We're just using coding and robotics as the way to let them dig deeper into this topic. So rather than seeing it as its own sort of separate subject necessarily, STEM and computer science is more effective when we use it as a tool, the same way we might use music or like a poster board in middle school. You know, we don't have poster board special, you know, right. in our schedule. Right. Uh, and we don't really need a STEM special either. We just think of STEM as a way that children engage with. It's a problem-solving method and a method of self-expression that we can use across the curriculum. But it's, it's a tool that I think, at least in the past, maybe would have intimidated a an English teacher or, or a history teacher or a social studies teacher or, or general primary care if they're great. Talk a little bit about the evolution of not only the technology and maybe the ease of use uh, as a teaching tool, but also as uh, a sophisticated piece of software that the students can use too, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And that's a that's an important challenge. And it's one that, um, you know, there's, I think first, there's an important role to be played by instructional technologists and experts in not um, just how technology works, but how technology can support teaching goals. And I think that's been a really important evolution of the role of sort of how we see the tech expert within a school building is yeah. not just sort of IT, but somebody who really understands the challenges teachers are facing, the way students engage with these materials and the way we can sort of bring those together to support learning. So the role of the instructional technologist is really important as sort of a guide, as a companion to the classroom teachers, because you're right, a classroom teacher probably didn't get into this field to teach computer science necessarily, if they're like a first or second grade classroom teacher, not to generalize, but um, sure. it's a new it's a new subject. Um, yeah. So it's important that the teachers have support with PD and with that colleague, um, the instructional technologist. But another aspect, like you pointed out, is um, making sure that the materials fit the teaching. So making sure that the materials are developmentally appropriate. Again, Kibo is our product is the result of uh, extensive research by our co-founder, Professor Marina Bears, into this topic of how young children in particular um, learn technology concepts. She and her team developed Scratch Junior, which is a wonderful uh, iPad-based app. Yeah, it's, it's great. It's sort of storytelling, animation, programming, all about sort of self-expression and imagination, but it is screen-based. And so uh, there are sort of technology kind of overheads to that. And there's also a, a level of abstraction that especially for pre-K and K students can be a barrier. And that's why she and her research team started looking into robotics because it was clear that hands-on manipulatives, a totally screen-free experience would be easier for students to use, more effective, and easier for teachers to integrate into their day. Yeah. Um, so those are just some really practical benefits of robotics is we're moving things off the screen, you know, onto the rug, into circle time. The kids are collaborating around these manipulatives and physical objects, and it's so much better from a classroom management point of view than a bunch of kids hunched down over iPads. Over, the, over their screens, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. for sure. You know, one of the topics, obviously, right now, AI, artificial intelligence, is on the tip of every educator's lips for uh, either worry or you know excitement in terms of its potential. Maybe talk a little bit about where you see um, how that is tied into robotics. You know, you know, 
part and parcel of that within the context of looking out over the course of the next, you know, say three to five years. I mean, does that give us where your crystal ball has the robotics space advancing instruction, you know, over that sort of time horizon? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, AI is a fascinating challenge right now and thinking about all the ways it's going to impact education. Um, you could stare into the crystal ball forever. and <laughs> um, Anything sort of seems plausible at this moment. Um, yeah. I guess for me, um, I sort of zero in, again, thinking about um, what it means for our younger learners. Um, there are sort of two major ways I see young children kind of being impacted by these shifts around AI. One of them is just emphasizing the importance of, in the minds of children, emphasizing that technological tools like AI are the creations of human engineers, uh, that human engineers make decisions about how technology should work, how our machines should work, how our computers and our software should work, and that those decisions are ones that even young children can begin to be part of. Um, you know, when we, with our robot, like I mentioned, and you mentioned the example of Lego too, it's like, the parts of the robot for Kibo are made for the children to decide what to attach to the robot. If they want to make a program about a robot that moves around and then lights up its light bulb, they, the human engineers, are the ones who attach the wheels and motors, attach the light bulb. So if we can have our K and first grade students understand that fundamental idea that technology isn't this magical thing handed down to us, it's something made by people and every decision about how it works is a decision that a human being has made. Yeah. <laughs> That's one of the fundamental lessons that I, I think is important. You know, it's expressed in the engineering and, and computer science standards, but it's, it's worth repeating. Uh, and then the other sort of partner to that is just the earlier we can start with effective STEM education and computer science education, the more likely we'll be preparing students for what those like generative AI tools are going to be doing in education in 10 years. I mean, if we think about how amazing and sort of what an earthquake chat GPT is causing in yeah. like English education, imagine what it will be like in 10 years when today's kindergartners are in high school. So all we can really do is prepare those students with a solid foundation in STEM education so that they can understand that tools like ChatGPT are exactly that, just tools. And we need to figure out how to use them effectively. Well, it's an exciting time. Uh, it's a positive time, I think. And, you know, now in what I'm hoping is the post-pandemic era, I think that it seems like your work and your technologies are, are certainly accelerating. And uh, it gives me a sense of hope for education, which is an important thing. Thanks a lot, Kevin. Yeah, it's a, it's very exciting. Like, fingers crossed, yeah, we are truly post-pandemic because getting kids together, working in groups together around physical manipulatives, we know that's what uh, these young children need. And it's, it's the foundation for solid education in every field. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks again for your time and your insights, Jason. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you, Kevin. Great to talk to you. So that about wraps it up for this episode. Be sure to check back on eschoolnews.com for all the latest and greatest news and analysis for what's happening in the EdTech space. Remember, eSchool is always free and always helping innovative educators just like you.
Until next time, I'm Kevin Hogan for eSchool News.